0: This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Hello friends, welcome back. Today I'm going to be doing something a little bit different. I was going to call this episode Bits and Pieces, different things that have crossed my path or things that have been on my desk or emails that I've seen, different things that have been meaningful to me. But as I went through them, I realized that they really were all on the theme of trusting and surrendering to God, those two things being tightly bound together. To trust God is really to submit everything to Him. And in order to submit everything to Him, we have to trust Him. So, like I said, today is something a little bit different We'll have some poetry and some prayers. The first thing that I'd like to mention today is a poem that was written by Annie Johnson Flint. She was a poet born in the 1860s and died in 1932. She wrote a tremendous number of poems, a very well-known Christian poet at the time. She was actually called The Poet of Helpfulness, and so, of course, her works have been mostly forgotten by many people who are listening, or maybe by almost all that are listening right now. I came across this, well, I don't remember where I came across this, perhaps through Elizabeth Elliot. I want to say a little bit about Annie Johnson Flint's life. When she was young, she went to a school uh, for teachers and then taught in elementary school. And as a young lady, she started having arthritis just within the early years of her teaching career. And she suffered all of her life a severe form of arthritis. And it was a chronic condition, and she never recovered from it. So, all through her life, she had pain and suffering. And so, the poem that I want to read for you is on this theme of trusting God when you come to a place that's pretty tough in life. So, I'll just read it. This is by Annie Johnson Flint. Have you come to the Red Sea place in your life, where in spite of all you do, there's no way out, there's no way back, there's no other way but through? Then wait on the Lord with a trust serene till the night of your fear is gone. He will send the wind, he will heap the floods, when he says to your soul, go on. And his hand will lead you through, clear through, ere the watery walls roll down. No foe can reach you, no wave can touch, no mightiest sea can drown. The tossing billows may rear their crests, their foam at your feet may break. But over their bed you shall walk dry shod in the path that your Lord will make. In the morning watch, neath the lifted cloud, you shall see but the Lord alone, when he leads you on from the place of the sea to a land that you have not known. And your fears shall pass, as your foes have passed. You shall be no more afraid. You shall sing his praise in a better place, a place that his hand has made. That's a lovely poem. Uh, It's... Another example of why it's really good to know the Old Testament, as the nation of Israel comes to the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming up behind them, they have to cross through and God has to do a miracle. Here, Annie Johnson Flint says, we come to those places in our lives where there's no other way but to go forward and we don't see any way out, but we have to go on. Her word here is one that the Lord has been speaking to many of us recently. Wait on the Lord with a trust serene. Just wait on the Lord. She says, he'll send the wind. He'll roll up the waters for you. When he says for you to go on, he's going to do all that. So wait and trust. Go through it. You won't get drowned. And once you pass through, you're going to enter into that promised land, that good place, a place flowing with milk and honey. Let me just read the last few lines here again. When he leads you on from the place of the sea to a land you have not known, your fears shall pass as your foes have passed. You shall be no more afraid. You shall sing his praise in a better place, a place that his hand has made. That's very encouraging, and I can see why she was called the poet of helpfulness. Next is something that I came across By Andrew Murray. Just a small thing that he wrote. He called it Rules for My Life. Andrew Murray was born in the 1820s, died in 1917. He almost got to 90 years old. And he was from Scotland. Parents were from Scotland. Uh, They were missionaries in South Africa. So he was known as a South African writer and pastor, teacher. He was a missionary. And he called missions the chief end of the church, which, of course, makes sense because the Lord's Great Commission, what we call the Great Commission, is that his disciples should go out and preach the gospel. He and his wife had eight children, and he pastored a church in South Africa. And there was a renewal, a revival in the 1860s. And he was very, very involved in that when he was in his 30s and 40s. And he believed, as I do, that the gifts of the Spirit and the apostolic gifts continued through to today. And so in that sense, he was a forerunner of the modern Pentecostal movement. He wrote what he called Rules for My Life. These are four rules and then just a a sentence that kind of encapsulates it all. These four rules have been so very helpful to me. This is a missionary speaking, Andrew Murray, talking about being in the place where God has called him, but it's pretty tough. So here are Andrew Murray's rules for my life. Number one, God has brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this confined place. In that fact, I will rest. Rule number two, he will keep me here in his love and give me the grace to behave as his child. Rule number three, he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons that he intends for me to learn and working in me the grace that he means to bestow. Rule number four, in his good time, he can bring me out again when and how he knows. Those are his four rules. And then he has a a little sentence. Let me say that I am here by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his training, for his time. Boy, I say amen to all of that. It could be a long teaching here on every step, every one of these four rules for his life. Well, let's just go through them very quickly. Rule number one, God has brought me here, and it's by his will that I am in this confined place. In that fact, I will rest. Pretty often, in my experience, when we do the will of God, it leads us to a place of hardship or suffering. We can see that example in the lives of the apostles. We can see it in the lives of people that we know, especially we see it in the life of Jesus, that as he was obedient to the Father, he went into a place of hardship. And you remember he said, what should I say now? Father, deliver me from this time? No, it's for this reason that I came here. And often that is the case with us. When things are really hard, that's why we're there. Because God wants his people in the hard places. He wants you and me to learn these really good lessons about self-sacrifice, self-denial, taking up our cross. And this first rule is excellent because it's a recognition that God put us here. And it's by his will that we're in this hard place. And because he brought us here and it's his will, we can rest in that. Rule number two says, he'll keep me here in his love and give me the grace to behave as his child. Amen. It's up to the Lord. Whatever he does, whatever he wants to do in our lives. This is a theme in some other things I'm going to share here coming up. Whatever he wants to do, we'll be in his love and he will give us the grace to be a child of God, to act in ways that are pleasing to him and helpful to others. Rule number three, God will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends for me to learn and working in me the grace that he means to bestow. Just recently, I was praying that I would understand grace more deeply and that I would have that grace for other people, the people around me who are going through things, who are imperfect and fallen, and this rule is wonderful. We need to remember that the Lord will make these hardships into a blessing, and he will teach us whatever lessons he wants us to learn in the middle of the hardships. I've got a friend right now whose son is pretty ill, little boy, goes to the hospital regularly. And when they go to the hospital, well, she has to surrender her ability or her desire to have control because he's in the hands of the doctors and his illness is outside of her area of competency. As a mother, she wants to protect and help, and yet she's helpless. It's in a situation like that where we can learn deep lessons about trusting God and surrendering everything to him and recognizing his sovereignty over every aspect of life. We can trust and rest in him if we'll learn those lessons. Praise God, she's learning those lessons. And some of these hard lessons, uh, dare I say all of them, can only be learned when you're in the middle of something hard. Number four, in God's good time, he can bring us out again. When and how, only he knows. (laughs) Let's remember that. Even the escape from hardship is not up to us. We just read something from Annie Johnson Flint, and of course, through her whole life, she suffered from the pain of arthritis and the way that that limited her abilities. She's out from underneath that pain now. Praise God. And then the final thing that Andrew Murray says here, just to sum it all up, I'll say it for us. We are in the place that we're in by God's appointment, and he is keeping us here under his training in his time. Amen. The next thing I want to share are a couple of things that were written by John and Betty Stamm. Some of you may have heard of Betty Scott Stamm if you've been listening to the Elizabeth Elliott podcast. They were missionaries in China back in the early part of the 20th century. They were in China when the communists began a civil war, and they had a little girl, an infant daughter, I think. She was just a few weeks old or a few months old, Helen. Helen. And the communists came in, and there was a civil war. The Stams, as missionaries there, American missionaries, were force-marched 12 miles, 19 kilometers by soldiers. They were arrested as foreigners and, of course, as Christians to communists who are anti-Christian. They were enemies. They were American Christians, and so double enemies there. And the group uh, that they were with as they were being marched by these communists spent the night in a little village. That night, Betty was allowed to take care of the little baby, Helen. Because Betty knew that they were very likely to be executed by the communists, she hid her daughter inside a sleeping bag. And then the next morning, they left, and she left that little baby hidden away under these covers. They were marched down the streets of this village to be executed. As they were being marched down the street, a Chinese businessman, a little shopkeeper, he stepped out of the crowd, and he talked to the communists and tried to persuade them, tell them not to kill the Stams. And then the soldiers, well, they ordered him to get back in, but he wouldn't go back. And then the soldiers searched his business and where he was living, and they found a Bible. This Chinese shopkeeper was a Christian. And then he was led with the Stams to the place of execution, Just a little bit later, John Stamm knelt and was beheaded while his wife and the Chinese shopkeeper watched on. And then his wife and the Chinese man were then beheaded just moments later. Helen, the baby, was found a couple of days later by a Chinese pastor. The child later went to the USA and was raised by her aunt and uncle. Well, something that Betty Scott Stamm wrote was a favorite of Elizabeth Elliot. And it is on this theme of trusting and surrendering to the Lord. And here's what Betty Scott Stamm wrote. Lord, I give up my own plans and purposes, all my own desires, hopes, and ambitions, and I accept thy will for my life. I give up myself, my life, my all, utterly to thee, to be thine forever. I hand over to thy keeping all of my friendships, all the people whom I love are to take second place in my heart. Fill me now, seal me with thy Holy Spirit, work out thy whole will in my life at any cost, for to me to live is Christ. Amen. That is a beautiful prayer, and that is the attitude of heart that allows a person to be led into a circumstance where uh, they are executed for their faith. A complete surrender, a loving surrender and trust. To surrender all plans and purposes, desires, hopes, ambitions. To lay it all aside, everything, and accept God's perfect will for our lives. To surrender our very self, our life, everything that's related to be who we might define ourselves by. Surrender it all so that we would be His. All our friendships, all those relationships take second place. To the primacy of Christ. And I'm really touched by how she said, fill me now and seal me with thy spirit. Let me read it one more time. Lord, I give up my own plans and purposes, all my own desires, hopes, and ambitions, and I accept thy will for my life. I give up myself, my life, my all utterly to thee to be thine forever. I hand over to thy keeping all of my friendships, All the people whom I love are to take a second place in my heart. Fill me now and seal me with thy spirit. Work out thy whole will in my life at any cost. For to me, to live is Christ. Amen. Yeah, that prayer, work out your entire will in my life at any cost. And you see the cost for the stams of the working out of the will of god well betty stams husband john wrote a poem and it's on the same theme and it's interesting i don't know exactly when he wrote it but he sent it to his father and the poem arrived at the same time as the news arrived that john stam had been beheaded with his wife so i believe it must have been written pretty close to when they were martyred And I can track with what he says here. The the name of this little poem is Afraid. It's talking about being afraid, being fearful. And since there's a question mark, it really is about fearlessness. I believe they knew that there were great dangers there in China. And I know people now who live in very dangerous places. John Stamm wrote about dying, the fear of dying. It's written in four stanzas called Afraid. Here it is. Afraid of what? To feel the Spirit's glad release? To pass from pain to perfect peace? The strife and strain of life to cease? Afraid of that? Afraid of what? Afraid to see the Savior's face? To hear is welcome, and to trace the glory gleam from wounds of grace. Afraid of that? Afraid of what? A flash, a crash, a pierced heart? Darkness, light, O oh, heaven's art. A wound of his, a counterpart? Afraid of that? Afraid of what? To do by death what life could not baptize with blood a stony plot till souls shall blossom from that spot. Afraid of that? Oh boy, what a great poem. So he talks about this fear. People have been telling me that I should be afraid. And of course, there are many reasons to be fearful for many of us, uh, afraid of death. And he is writing here. I think he knew that his death, his execution, his martyrdom was very much possibility. And he said, Why should we be afraid when our spirit is released and we go from this world of pain into a place of rest and peace? That all of these troubles will end. We shouldn't be afraid of that. To see the Savior's face, to hear his voice welcoming us. In the third stanza, he says, Afraid of what? A flash, a crash, a pierced heart? I think he's talking. About the moment of death, a flash or a crash, a pierced heart, and darkness, but then light. What is there to be afraid of? And then the final stanza is touching because his blood was spilled there in China. Just the very thing that he was talking about here in this poem. He says, Afraid of what? To do by death what life could not? Baptize with blood a stony plot? until souls shall blossom from that spot, afraid of that. And he did baptize with blood, a stony plot. Amen. So I really, really respect John and Betty Stamm, the things that they went through in the last days of their life, the last two or three days. It's really something, and they were faithful to the end, and they're a good witness for us. All right, so the last thing that I'll mention is something that I intend to give more time to in a later episode, but I just want to close with this, and it's a prayer. that was written by John Wesley in the 1700s. 1755, as a matter of fact, was the first time this prayer was read in church. It is a prayer that has been very, very helpful to me over the years. Uh, It's been a, a touchstone, and again, I'll talk about it more in depth, I believe, in a later episode. At that point, I'll talk about how I came across it and what it means and how it's been applied. But this is John Wesley's covenant prayer. This prayer is a statement of a believer making their covenant with God or restating their covenant with God. And remember, a covenant is not just a contract. As a matter of fact, I did several episodes on covenants And especially episode number 48 is where I do an introduction to covenants. And the following episodes, 49, 50, 51, are a discussion of the different covenants in the Bible and which ones apply to New Testament believers. John Wesley wrote what he calls a covenant service, an entire service, which culminates in this final prayer. And this is the prayer. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will, rank me with who you will, put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you, or laid aside for you, exalted for you, or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine, and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. That is a lovely prayer. And the thing that I learned from this prayer is the necessity of a disciple to surrender everything. To surrender not only the unpleasant things, but to surrender the pleasant things. To let God do whatever he wants to do. And John Wesley has learned many things and put them here. He says, put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside. Many of us will pray, Lord, use me for great things. But how often do we pray, Lord, I am willing to be laid aside for you. I'm willing to be brought low for you. I am willing to be empty, if that is your will. I am willing to have nothing. I am willing to suffer. I am willing to be ranked with whoever you put me with. So, actually in closing, I'll read this all again, and this will be the final part of this episode. Uh, Before I read it, I just pray that these things will settle into your hearts, and that God will move in you more and more through these things the way that he's moved in me. They're not only reminders of the ways of God, they're a real encouragement that people who have gone before us have learned good lessons and have walked in those things, that it really is possible to live that life that God calls us to because he gives us his spirit to give us the grace to do what he calls us to. So here is John Wesley's covenant prayer. I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will, rank me with who you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal and now O glorious and blessed father son and holy spirit you are mine and i am yours so be it and the covenant which i have made on earth let it be ratified in heaven amen jesus said to his disciples now that you know these things You will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening and God bless you all.